0: With that said, we're going to head into our newest sermon series for 2024, entitled That's Good News. In our small groups this month, we're utilizing Shane Bishop's book, That's Good News, hence the name of our series, to help us get a little bit better at evangelism, which is one of the scariest words in all of religion. (laughs) But evangelism isn't quite what you think it is. It doesn't mean that we got to stand on a soapbox at a street corner with a bullhorn. It doesn't mean that we're destined for a life like the apostles who risked life and limb. It doesn't mean we've got to be boring like Sunday morning preachers. We can do it a little bit differently. Evangelism isn't what you think it is. I hope to show that to you over the next couple of weeks. Because simply put, evangelism is just sharing the good news with others. And no matter how many people you tell the good news to, there's always one more, isn't there? There's always one more. And as an added benefit, you can feel good while doing it. Sharing good news, especially the good news of God, it makes you feel good on the inside and on the out. So within that in mind, I want to share with you some good news that I came across this week. Let me tell you about Kobe. No, not the basketball player, but the dog. Who coincidentally is a really, really, really good boy. Okay. Kobe is a four year old husky living with his owner, Chanel Bell, in Philadelphia. It was Kobe who saved an entire neighborhood the week of Christmas. Let me tell you how. You see, Kobe was digging a hole in his front yard near the sidewalk. To me, that's like a normal thing that a dog does, digging a hole. But you know, to Chanel, Bell was surprised by the digging nature of his pup because he never digs holes in the front yard, never. So the curious dog owner, he goes out to look at what his dog Kobe is doing, digging a hole of course right by the fence line near the sidewalk and then it hit him. He remembered, this is a spot near where the natural gas utility was digging under the sidewalk just a couple weeks ago. So the owner went back inside. He grabbed an old natural gas meter he had from his parents' house that they used to use around the stove or around the fireplace or something, and he took it outside and discovered a massive natural gas leak under the sidewalk. Bell said, and I quote from the article, if it wasn't detected by Kobe, the dog, and the gas continued to leak into our homes, we were told it could have caused serious health effects like respiratory illness, brain damage, and even death. They told me that something as simple as a light switch turning on could have caused an explosion. Now, that's some good news, isn't it? Some good news about Kobe the dog. I bet you'll be grateful the next time your mutt's digging near your rose bushes, right? <laughs> uh, maybe not. <laughs> I, do, I do like illustrations like this, like Kobe the dog, because it proves my point that I'm trying to hammer home over the next couple weeks. Telling people good stuff is good for you and amusing and hopefully good for all of you too. (laughs) Isn't that great news? Telling people good news? Look, I think the best news that we have to share with others is the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on a cross so that we may have eternal life. Isn't that great news? (laughs) Look, we we have to be willing to share this great news with the people that we come across. Anyone and everyone. And we're commanded to do so. I'm going to put you to the test a little bit from the last year of Core 52. One of our Core 52 verses was Acts 1, chapter 8. Jesus says, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon, or you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Even I messed it up. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then to the rest of the earth. With the power of the Holy Spirit alongside of us, we read from our scriptures that we can go to the ends of the earth, spreading the good news of not Kobe the dog, but of the great news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. People need to hear this good news that God not only loves them, but he cares for them for eternal time. Now, this is usually the time where people start to disconnect from the sermon a little bit. I get it. People start rolling their eyes a little bit when I start to challenge them with stuff like that. Because I don't know if, if it was me when I was younger, but I used to think, how could an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-great God really care about me? Out of the trillions of people that have walked on earth, why does he care about me? I'm just a nobody, <laughs> And why does God want me, of all people, to go out and start telling the gospel message to these lost souls that we detail? How do we know that God cares for us and loves us and cares for the lost in our world? I think it's simple. It's all in our scriptures. Actually, it's compacted really well in the gospel of Luke in chapter 15. God, in chapter 15, has Luke write this amazing chapter about lost things, lost things, things that down deep in our souls, we know that he is talking about lost souls as well. (laughs) The first story out of Luke 15, Jesus tells us about a shepherd with a hundred sheep. Perhaps you know this story, this parable, but the shepherd discovers that suddenly a sheep has gone astray. The shepherd doesn't say in the midst of losing this one sheep, he doesn't say, oh, well, I still got 99, 1% attrition ain't bad. (laughs) No, in the parable, we see that the shepherd is distraught over this one lost sheep. So much so that he's willing to leave the 99. Mind you, a lot of people gloss over the fact that the shepherd leaves the 99 in a safe place. He does. He leaves the 99, but he leaves them in a safe place. All to go find the one lost sheep. It just proves that our God cares about the loss. That's the first story. The second story then rolls into this woman who loses a coin. This time, we're not talking about 1% attrition. We're talking about 10% attrition. Because you see, this woman has lost one of her 10 precious coins. Now, does she just shrug her shoulders and say, ah, the couch cushion got another one. (laughs) You win some, you lose some. No. In the parable, we see her go to incredible lengths just to find this one lost coin. She tears up her house, looking intently. Would you do that? I don't know about all of you all, but I give away my spare change to my kids because I don't want it in my pocket. I don't want it in my wallet. I just give it away. But this one lost coin, would you tear up your house for a lost penny? It proves the point that our God cares about the lost, no matter how inconsequential they look to people outside or to themselves, perhaps. Finally, the third parable is the most famous in Luke chapter 15. The lost objects now, it increases from 1% attrition to 10% all the way to 100% because the final parable in Luke 15 is the prodigal son. You know the story. A family loses their son to the ways of the world. That's how I like to say it, the ways of the world. And yet, when the son finally comes home, comes to his senses, and comes back home, as Len so beautifully put it, and come home song, the final song we sang just before. The father, as he sees the son coming from off in a distance, he he doesn't have hard feelings. He doesn't harbor resentment, no. What does the father do? He actually runs towards his son while he's still far off in a distance, and he has this overwhelming joy in his heart. My point is, all of Luke 15 it is Luke writing to us about how our God cares about the lost. Now, a lost person could be as simple as getting lost in the neighborhood. Remember when GPSs were first a thing? I remember certain people coming into the neighborhood that I grew up as a kid trying to trick their GPS to getting lost to see if they really could get from point A to point B, no matter where. They went. But a a soul that is lost is is actually pretty similar, I think. The analogy works pretty well because when you're trying to get to a new place for the first time, it can be confusing. And people get lost, and a soul becomes lost when you get bad advice in life, what I like to call bad counsel. We hear bad advice all the time. I see it written on every social media forum that there is. There is bad advice out there, and for some reason, people take it as gospel. Then there are some people who get lost because they don't have GPS connectivity. You know, when we lose the satellite to our phone and you're stuck with Google Maps just spinning, that's not a good place to be. I've been there. I call that our lost spiritual connection. When people lose a spiritual connection, they get lost in life. And then there are just some people who are just insanely lost no matter what they do. They have no sense of direction, couldn't tell you which way is north, south, east, or west. People just sometimes get lost in the way that they go. We all know lost people in our lives, too, don't we? People that are not metaphorically lost, but lost in their soul. (laughs) People who have strayed away from the path. People who have started out on the path, but then fallen away from it. We have people who can't even find the path, even when it's right in front of their stinking faces. (laughs) And when you're lost like that, I think there's something interesting that we fall into bad habits. We fall into the ways of the world, as I said earlier. Because the ways of the world, we try and shove anything in this God shaped hole that we have in our soul. We'll try to do anything to fill this hole that's in our life when we're lost, whether it's filling it with power or sex or drugs, or that's just a few things that are out there that you can try and fill your lives with. And last week, I posed the question. You're probably sick of it by the end of the sermon. Uh, are you excited to share your faith? I get it. It's hard at times, sometimes, with the way religion and churches work, to get excited about your faith. This week, I want to pose another question. Do you care about the lost? Or are you, like me, sometimes just giving away the coins as excess change? Let me ask you again. Do you actually care about the lost? Do you care about those who are in the pit of despair wandering in the wilderness? As Jesus puts it in the parable out of Luke 15, he says this about the, in the parable of the lost sheep. He says, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, He calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Uh, Part of the good news that Jesus is telling us we have to share is that, and don't get mad at me, once again, this is Jesus saying it, not me. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no repentance. Here's the great thing, friends. We are to tell the lost the good news. And in doing so, not only by telling people good news do we become happier, and they might become happier, but I know the joy of our Lord becomes happier. Hear me, let me say it again. Doing these hard things like evangelism, speaking to people about God at work, our homes, our workplaces, wherever. (laughs) When you do that, you bring joy to God. But are we prepared to do so? Are we well equipped and time to do it? Are we willing to do so? Kind of talked about that last week. Will we excitedly do so? Probably not all the time. But let's dive into our main scripture for this morning, which is found out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to look at the great evangelizer, Paul, how he tries to reach the lost in the scriptures. I think maybe, just maybe, we can look at the words of Paul and find and discover a little bit more about how we can reach the lost. Will you read along with me, starting in verse 19? For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Though I am not, uh, I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might be all means save some. It doesn't say all there. It says some, mind you. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Friends, this is the word of God for the people. God, praise be to God. Will you pray along with me this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be found holy and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, Paul is something that not many of us are willing to be. Uh, not just an evangelist, which I get is difficult, but he's a flexible evangelist. Flexibility is not one of my great attributes, both physically and metaphorically. Uh, Just to prove it, I'm going to try and touch my toes this morning, and this is about as far as I can get with trying. Uh, I could have Andrew come up here, jump on my back, and I still wouldn't get much closer. Uh, For a weekend warrior, uh, as a runner, I like to think that I'm in good shape, and yet I'm still not very flexible. And I think this is a nice metaphorical illustration for who I am as a person. Because I'm not as flexible in my personal life as I should be either. (laughs) For instance, I do the same things at the same time with the same people day after day after day. I am a rhythm person. I I, I have the things that I do, and I do them over and over again. And unfortunately for my family, I get really cranky when I don't get my things at a certain time like I should. Uh, And I, I must admit, I'm not the only one who's inflexible in life. For instance, this week, I read a story that happened 90 years ago about a British ship manufacturer called the Cunard Line. Now, you might know them most famously as Carnival Cruises now, but they were ready to name their next great luxury ocean liner back 90 years ago. And the consensus was, being that it was a British company, that they would name this cruise liner after the greatest queen of England I guess, which is Queen Elizabeth I, I guess, I don't know, I'll take the story at face value. So they went to the king, they went to King George V, and asked for his blessing. They asked if they could name this ship after the greatest queen in all the monarchy. So the king listened, thought for a moment, turned to his wife, the queen, and said, I concur, we should name it after the greatest queen in all the monarch. I believe her name is Queen Mary, and she's sitting right next to me. The queen uh, must not have been very flexible with how she was viewed by the public. Uh, My point is, really, we need to be flexible, and I'm preaching to myself here, we need to be flexible when it comes to spreading the gospel message. We have to be willing to be stretched in order to share the gospel. Hear me. I didn't say that we should compromise the words of God to share the gospel. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Paul is not advocating that we change our theological doctrine, our convictions, or morality to reach a loss. No, of course. However, he is saying that we need to be willing to get the ways of the world out of the way. (laughs) It's okay to be uncomfortable with God. It's okay to be stretched by God. It's okay, as Paul says so eloquently in 1 Corinthians, to be a Jew or a Gentile, or inside the law, or outside the law, or weak. He says, I've become all things to all people, so that with this one goal in mind, I might by any means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. The reality is, is we can't let things like outward appearance, or political views, or sports fandom, get between us and other people. These are obstacles of what I like to call inflexibility. Things on the periphery of life that stand between us and other people. Things that don't quite matter of a fact matter. (laughs) Be honest for a moment. There are certain things that stop us from interacting with other people. What are they for you? Maybe it's a Michigan Wolverine shirt. It's been a rough week in my household. Maybe it's a New York Yankees tattoo (laughs) You know, I make those silly jokes week after week about the sports fandom stuff, but you know deep down that I'm true, that I'm being honest. There are certain people who you see out in the world who you want nothing to do with. <laughs> what are they? What are the reasons why you won't interact with certain people? Here's our challenge. As Christians, don't we want to represent the gospel in a manner that's worthy Of what it's telling people it's great it's the greatest news that you could ever hear in your life shouldn't we want to represent that in such a way so everyone hears it (laughs) that we've got to be flexible enough to share the good news with people regardless of who they are or regardless of what they stand for which can be difficult let me ask you again would you be willing to set something aside in order to excitedly share the gospel? (laughs) Would you be willing to give something up to share the gospel? Paul lays it all out there. He says we cannot let our personal allegiances be a physical obstacle between us and and spreading and sharing the good news with other people. In other words, we have to become accommodating. I like that word, accommodating. Uh, to others. And I think there are two ways we can really become more accommodating to help others, especially the lost, hear the gospel message. The first, we need to meet people where they're at. Let me tell you a story about Gib Martin. Gib was a 27 year old school teacher. Now, some of you out there are school teachers, and God bless you, you don't get paid far enough to do what you do. But Gib was a teacher who really struggled. With the difficulties of a classroom he did his coping mechanism in life wasn't a healthy one he would stop at the local bar for a little r&r every day after coming home from work but gib was a teacher who really struggled with all this that is until he met charlie now charlie was the weirdo at the bar there's always a weirdo at the bar when you go to the bar. There's a guy that you don't want to make eye contact with. and But this time, it's not because of the usual drunken reasons. <laughs> you see, Charlie was actually a recovering alcoholic. Kind of an interesting locale for an alcoholic to be. But he showed up to the bar not to tempt himself, but to instead share the gospel message with anyone who would listen. Because of his, Charlie's, flexible, an accommodating evangelical attitude, Gib would do anything he could to avoid the weirdo Charlie. <laughs> but after enough incidental run-ins, after enough nagging and persistence, Gib finally had his arm twisted. He went to an event, a community event with Charlie, and heard someone share their faith. It was there that Gib, the schoolteacher heard the gospel message for the very first time. Charlie was flexible, wasn't he? He was accommodating. He met Gibb literally where he was at, at a bar of all places, and still helped him hear the good news of God. Am I advocating that we start a bar ministry after church here today? Uh, Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. (laughs) That would be awfully cool to check that box on the commitment covenant, though, wouldn't it? (laughs) But my point is, my point is, we got to be flexible enough to meet people where they're at, both physically and metaphorically, okay? Some, let's get real, are not ready to hear the good news. Charlie, it took persistent effort to get to give, and that's okay. But we're going to tell people anyways. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. Because the awkwardness of rejection is just barely a scratch of what the apostles had to deal with when they were spreading the good news in the book of Acts. <laughs> My favorite part of the whole story about Charlie and though, has to be this little nugget that I read at the end of the story from Pastor Jared. He was telling me that none of the churches, the local churches, that were in Charlie's neck of the woods wanted anything to do with his bar evangelistic ministry. None. Even though he wasn't actually physically drinking at the bars, they still wanted nothing to do with who Charlie was because of what he was going and where he was going in, in, uh, to these bars. They didn't want to be affiliated with it. Talk about inflexible, right? <laughs> they let the physical location be an obstacle to spreading the good news. Those are things on the periphery we have to get out of the way in order to become more accommodating, friends. Once again... Don't hear what I'm saying this morning and think that I'm saying it's okay to go to the bar and uh, partake in the sin and debauchery as long as we share the good news with someone by the time we leave. No, not at all. Notice how Charlie wasn't drinking at the bar. But interestingly enough, he also wasn't condemning people either. He wasn't marking them as unredeemable. So we need to be flexible. We need to be accommodating in order to meet people where they're at, both physically and metaphorically, of course. But we also need to be okay with the awkwardness of sharing the gospel. Look, you can't be so inflexible that you allow your own pride, your ego to reign supreme in your life. It's okay if you share the good news with someone and they shrug your shoulders. It's okay if you share the good news with someone And they swear at you. I've been there. (laughs) So far, in our small group uh, book, That's Good News, I've actually really enjoyed reading about all the failures that Pastor Shane Bishop went through in his evangelistic ministry. Look, I'm I'm not cheering for people to fail. It'd be awfully cool to hear the stories of success, right? But it's also nice to hear the failure stories because it's a reminder that there is an instant success while doing evangelism. There isn't. Why? <laughs> because telling people the good news isn't always good for people in the moment that they're standing in. You see, what happens is when we spread the good news, it's like planting a seed in someone's soul a seed that is too small at first to fill the hole that's in their life. But as the seed grows and grows and expands, it fills up that hole that is in someone's life. You never know when that seed may sprout, when you plant it. So that's our job, to be sowers of the seed. <laughs> that's another parable of Jesus. We are to be sowers and throwing the seed and scatter it wherever it may lay hold. Somehow, though, there are times that we think, if I just throw some seed on the path, ah, it's going to sprout the next day. <laughs> Even in the gospel stories of the apostles, we don't see it work like that. Why do we think that if we just tell someone about Jesus, they're instantly like that, going to turn into a great disciple? It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you you got to be thinking like the crazy guy, the weirdo, at the local watering hole. <laughs> you got to think the long game. you got to be brave enough to share the good news, to take a risk for Jesus, because you are planting seeds, friends. You are. And those seeds may take years to harvest in the life of one of your own children, who have fallen away from God after being grown up in a church home. It may take years before someone comes before Jesus Christ, maybe even on a deathbed, to claim him as a Lord and Savior. The seeds grow, friends. They just may not all grow as quickly as we'd like them. But if you allow your pride and your ego after a couple of failures to be too much for you to share the good news, friends, you've got to overcome that fear you've got to come overcome that failure. So in summary, I've got to ask you: Are you willing to share the good news? Are you willing to share it to the lost, even if they don't want to hear it at first? Are you willing to search and seek out the lost, where they're at to tell them? Are you willing to be accommodating and understanding? Are you willing to plant seeds that may not grow right away? As Shane Bishop says this week, and I quote, when it comes to evangelism, it appears that God can bless anything, maybe even ministry at a bar, but God can't bless nothing. He's got to do something. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know the challenge in life is to really spread the good news to everyone that we meet. Help us to overcome our fear, Lord our fear that we're inadequate, our fear that we don't know enough, the fear that we don't know how to approach this person, the fear that we have over certain people. Lord, help us overcome them to spread your good news. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.